0: And so next week we'll slow it down even more. (laughs) I vow to avoid killing living things. And then we'll contemplate, have I kept that vow? What does that mean to me? I vow to avoid taking what is not given. And what does that mean to me? And in ways that I may have transgressed that, not being... Mindful, you know, we might think of, and we purposely uh, didn't say I vowed to avoid stealing because most of us probably say we don't steal, you know. But taking what is not given encompasses a, a bit more than that, you know. Sometimes it's taking the credit for something that we didn't do, stealing someone's good works. You no. Know, in ways that we say things and we rob a person of their good name. You know, so it's it's very deep that we need to ponder this. Otherwise, we'll zip through them and say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I, I keep all all of that." I'm reminded of the story in the Bible where um, a rich uh, man came to see uh, Jesus and. Um, you know, And he was asking him, you know, uh, what he needed to do to inherit the kingdom. And uh, Jesus went through this litany. He said, oh, I've done that. I do that. I've done that. I've done that since I was a child. And he said one more thing. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. And he said, and he went away very sorrowful because his possessions were very great. Yeah. So a lot of times we're uh, clamoring after what we know we already have, of what we know we've already done. Um, but it's that which we are clinging to. That's where uh, the attachment lies, where the abandoning must begin. So today there's so much talk about um, hmm, mindfulness in the in the world today and like mindfulness is where it is and meditation is where it is that I thought I would um kick over at least one sacred cow today. And uh that is The Buddha is constantly saying meditate, O monks, that's my advice to you, right? So, in its context, it was meditate, O monks. Monks. Or those who had already renounced all of these other things. You know, they'd left family, fame, fortune, you know, career, because there was something that they were seeking and they already realized that what I'm seeking the world can't give it to me. I was talking to someone last night and I was saying, you know, when I've finished this work, then I'm um then yeah, I'm I'm through. I'm gonna spend the rest of the time just making sure I've crossed my Ts and dotted my I's and so he said, You mean you're going into uh, like a long term retreat. And I was like, no, I'm not going into retreat. It's just that knowing when something like even your life is finished. It's just knowing when it's finished. And so so the finishing for me I said, Well that sounds a little bit depressing. Actually it's not. It's when you know you finish finished something, you're finished. What's depressing and morose is to feel a need to keep on with something because if you didn't do that, what would you do? Or to, you know, or to be drawn like a, 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 an animal with a hook in their nose, just have to keep going. You know, like I don't want to live forever in this world. This, this world doesn't hold that much for me. I'm so glad that I have heartwood. You know, to engage with and to develop. Because otherwise, you're like, what would I do? There's nothing really that I want. And so uh, we don't have to, like, die from something, <laughs> you know? We don't have to be forced out. We can just go when we're ready, but you better know you're ready. Mm. And so I want to know I'm ready. And he's given us some guidelines for how we can know we're ready. And that's not even the talk for this morning. Uh, how we can know that we're ready. So every day, every moment of the day, we should be looking at where we are. You know, all the things that we think matter so much, all the things that we think are so important. So count. If today was your last day, how important would that be to you? If today was my last day, the work that I'm doing right now would be sufficient for me. How about you? How are you conducting, governing your life? What comes first in your life? I could die happy mentally, maybe physically in some pain, if I was dying in the next moment. But in the mind and in the heart, I could die happily because I'm doing exactly what gives meaning to my life. And I realize that it keeps things going. When, when we are happy, the m- when we are sad, or when we are angry, or when, you know, when we're full of worry, or when we're full of doubt, the, the mind is agitated. He said, but when we're happy, the mind is still agitated. There comes a space that when you touch the stillness, it surpasses everything. And even the agitation of outward happiness cannot measure up. That's what I'm saying. If you haven't touched that place, Where there's this kind of uh, unification, you know, this kind of oneness with everything, so much so that one forgets about oneself and inherits everything. Where do you go after that? There's nowhere else to go. Not in, in this world. With all of its... Sufferings because of its makeup, its qualities, its characteristics. The basic unsatisfactoriness that gives us, uh, promotes uh, drive that we, you know, we are driven. We have to do something because in this world, there is a sense of a basic unsatisfactoriness. So we try to find something satisfying. Try to find things to do, places to go, people to be with. We try to create from the outside and from the inside because of the basic unsatisfactoriness of the appearance in This world. Its other characteristic is that it's not stable and steady. There is no security to be found anywhere, and we look for security in things. You know, I would I would say you know, um, I used to uh, I used to in my the first part of my life uh, before I got this job, (laughs) I used to uh, work hard and I played hard. I uh, made a lot of money and I spent a lot of money. Um, And everyone has to know their uh, their own temperament and the things they need to work with. I know mine one of greedy temperament, some other things too, but if I'm talking about self correction, I'm not looking at the good points you know like I might be faithful, yes, I might uh I'll be uh very understanding yes but what's the, what's the little part that I need to really pay close attention to the greedy the greedy part I like nice things I got nice things you know um and now I look at my life. And I really have need of nothing, and I feel that I have more than all those things that I had. So uh, they used to have the saying, you know, um, the people who say that uh, they have need of nothing has have never had anything. <laughs> And I used to always say, I've been rich and and now point I'm telling you rich is better. But and and it's and it's it's really a joke. I mean there is some external uh, benefits, but I'm talking about when you start cutting away things from your life, you find the suffering that comes with all of that, you know. You find the suffering that comes in having to protect it. You know, trying to figure out who uh, uh, is the person your friend because they're just your friend, or because they want what you ha- you know what you have, or they want something from you, or it's just all of these things. And that's another whole round of suffering, a whole different type of suffering, a whole different set of suffering. How to protect and keep what you have. How to keep people from coming and stealing it. Even, even you're protected with, with weapons, then you kill somebody, you know, who's breaking it. All of these kinds of things. And so no matter what we do, no matter what we attain, no matter what we get in this life, it comes with suffering. And there is no security to be had anywhere. So um, I was saying that I lived hard and I spent hard because tomorrow's not promised, you know. Uh, but uh, so many others I knew were saving, 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 saving for a rainy day. And then the market crashed three times in their life and wiped out 90% of all of their savings, you know. And like they were in the. And I said, see, you should have spent that. <laughs> So at least I had some happiness. I got some, some good out of what I, what I had. <laughs> but you got to be able to be able to live that way, too, though. You can't just say it, you know. But can you really, can you really live that way? And I remember when I was scaling back, you know, first from, and when I had a lot of houses because I would flip real estate for a living. I mean, that's a real job. And... Um, And then I went from six bedroom to one of our five bedroom houses to one of our four bedroom houses. Just had to do it gradually to the three bedroom house, all the way down to uh, one of our rental properties, uh, two bedroom house, but the operative word was rental property. I mean, you know, I was just talking about the difference in in outward, you know, um, deconstruction and then to a two-bedroom apartment, then to a one-bedroom apartment, then to an efficiency. Over a space of of about maybe four, four, four or five years, that was the progression of scaling down. And, and it became so clear to me, you know, that um, less was more. And at one time, somebody came in when I was having a... Um, a Dharma session and you know we'd all gather in the well not the main room the only room of the apartment uh, because it was an efficiency and she said like like where's your bed where do you sleep and I took her over to the closet you know you have the long closets I would sleep in the closet and the closet was enough space for me And I had um, like a little um, blow-up mattress, you know, blow the mattress up. Now, you know, my ex-husband, like he thought I had completely lost my mind. But, you know, that's exactly what I was trying to do. I was trying to lose that mind that I had. And so people wonder what's on the other side of that then? What could be in your view that would cause the things of the world to grow strangely dim? And what is in our view is really apprehending the four noble truths. So the first sacred cow that I want to kick over today is that Uh, there are the four noble truths because contextually the way it's put together these four statements are not true for us we have not apprehended the truth of suffering. That's why we're continuing to reach for, to look for, to expect, to find things in this world that will bring us happiness. So the truth of suffering that causes the renunciation, the stepping away from this world is not true for us yet. So it's not a noble, truth. The word noble aria, you know, it got kind of messed up with the, with the Nazi thing, you know, because they co-opted that word too. Um, but it means like superior, um, uh, advancing beyond the ordinariness. Um, it's something like that, and so. It is the truth, it's the superior man's truth, you see. We find satisfaction in the things we do, the things we have, the people that we love. So it's not really true for us yet. It's not our truth. It's the superior man's truth. these four noble truths but as we continue to grow and develop they do become true and then the things of this world become strangely dim all of us have things that we thought we absolutely had to have or that we liked so much and at some point we came to the end of it to the conclusion of the matter and our interest in them began to fade away just naturally fading away. You know what I mean? Not like forcibly putting something aside. Just not naturally fades away. And the things that we were so interested in or we thought were so necessary just aren't. But to the one that it is so important to and so necessary to, he can't understand you when you say that that's not important. But yet you know that it isn't for you anymore. That becomes your truth. So there are these truths. But we have not yet apprehended them. When we do, there starts to be a renunciation of the world. A gradual letting go. An opening of a vision beyond our limited capacity to know and to understand. We start touching a piece that is not of this world of doing and being and having. So when we start practicing, we start practicing with such a great struggle because we're doing our usual thing. We're trying to accomplish something. You know, we're trying to have something. We're trying to get something. We're trying to be something because that's all we know in this world. So the Buddha said it actually requires a change of lineage. And we move out of the family of the today I could call us Homo sapiens sapiens and in to the lineage of the Buddhas. And so when people are introduced, to meditation, we're usually introduced to it around how to be happier with our things. We're usually introduced to it around, you know, how to be more successful at work. We're usually introduced to it, you know, around the concept of me, my, and mine, which is the exact opposite of what this whole thing is about. And it does help us with that, you know. It it does help us, but that's not what it was designed for, I'm saying. And so if we only understand that, and if we divorce our practice from the mm, container in which... uh, the container out of which it came, then will there will be a misapplication and uh, we will miss inheriting the great promise. One of my masters used to always say that meditation is the practice of dying. When that time comes, you won't be trying to cling to what you can no longer um, maintain. The breaking apart of the body, the movement of consciousness to who knows where. So this whole teaching was around that. Not seeing the body as me. And understanding the arrival of this consciousness in this realm and its movement. It really wasn't about how to be a better anything, soldier, employee, wife, husband, musician. It wasn't really about any of those things, about how. It was dealing with the ultimate question of life and the mystery and saying it's only mysterious to those who don't know. and you don't know, apart from direct experience. But once you taste, that's why he would say, aipasiko, come, see for yourself. This is something that has to be directly apprehended. And that's the purpose of meditation. And And when you do, it fills in all the gaps, you know, it's like water seeping in. It fills every crevice of your life. But I just want us to not set our bar. Our, our, this is not limbo. How low can you go? It's like, you know, I, I want us to leave the bar set and to aspire to it, to reach, to reach out to it. He said, my Dharma is hard to see and it's hard to understand he said it's for those who have just a little dust in their eyes and when um <coughs> Anapandika was dying and he was a wealthy merchant who had really supported the um the Buddha and he supported those uh, who had stepped off into homelessness to really unravel the mystery of life um Excuse me one second. Are you doing lunch today? Mm. Lunch. Okay, okay, I just wanted to make sure because I was going to say lunch will be late today because I wanted her to be able to stay for for the whole sit. Okay, wonderful. Um, And when he was dying, uh, Ananda and uh, Saraputa went to see him. And he said, "How are things, my friend? Are they getting better, or are they getting worse?" He said, "It's getting worse." And so um, he said, "Well, and he began to expound some of the Buddha's deep teachings, the ones that the monks got. you know, you know and they weren't really monks. we sort of made it a priestcraft, you know, uh, over the over the centuries, they weren't really like monks. Um, They were like people like me and you who stepped away from life seeking to know the meaning to life instead of because they felt like they were on sort of like a treadmill. And uh, so they were actually, they went forth into homelessness. They gave up everything to devote attention to this. Now we've got it in like a nice classification of monks, but it wasn't really like that, okay? And so he said, No, I'm sinking. I'm getting worse. And so he began to teach them some of the the deep things. The things that, that we the original things that we share here in this I tell you, you can go anywhere else in the country and it's very rare that you'll hear the things that we learn here. And one day, something will click, it clicks, and we start stringing it together, and we have this realization. We know something. And it happens when it happens. But it comes from, you know, hearing a little here, hearing a little there, pondering a little here, noticing a little there, you know? And then... One day we look out and we see something different. We understand things a little bit differently. We find out that I've f- found some peace and contentment in, you know, a very uh, not obvious space. I find out I'm a little happier, I'm I'm kinder, I don't take things so personally. I can catch myself before I do that ugly thing. That I used to do that I didn't want to do but couldn't stop myself because of a habitual tendency or the mind going back, remembering something that happened to me when I was a child and said I'd never do that. And I find myself doing the very same thing because that's all I know. You know, but hearing a little rubs off. A little bit of the edge here. It shaves off a little bit of the hard that's there. It uproots a little bit of the insecurity here. It's all of this little tapping. Until one day, we like open our eyes and like, I feel great. You know, not, not because of anything I have. Not because of anything I am, not because of whose I am, not because of who is with me, not because everything's going great in my life. everything can be going like a turd. You know? Everything can be going really, really badly. But what does that to do with me? It's just the nature of things, and I realize that all conditions are due to causes. So I know that when this thing happens and like it doesn't feel good, But it is happening, it arose due to causes and conditions. Some I had something to do with, some I didn't. It goes with living in this Saha world. It goes with this world. It's part of the characteristic of the nature of this world. That there's no security to be found anywhere. And I keep looking for it. But when I come to the conclusion that there is no security to be found anywhere, then I'm free. Now I'm ready. I can handle what comes in the course of a day. That's it. I can handle it. Handling it might mean nothing I can do about it. I can handle that there's nothing I can do about that. If there is something I can do I do something. If there's something that can be done and I can know what it is, but I can feel it and know, but I'm not the one to do it. Because if I try to do it, the result is not going to be the highest and the best for me or for that person or for that situation. Yes, it needs to be done, but I'm not the one to do it. Or maybe I am, but not right at this moment. Or maybe I am, and not this woman, but not in the Paniwadi way, you know. So I can't attach to any way of being and saying like that's who I am, you know. No. Being present means rising to the occasion and actually being able to shapeshift to become what's needed in that moment, hmm. not just me being my way going to have to get out of this notion or concept of any kind of fixed me with a fixed way to be available to show up and possibly be a present help in a time of need. You see, this starts to move so far away from any thoughts about who and what we are personally and what we have, because the freedom is found on the other side of that. And we don't become lost. We actually find our most magnanimous, our largest, our vastest self in this way. So it's not Paniwadi. It's something else. <laughs> oh, it's like that. So whenever I'm thinking Paniwadi, I'm retracting. I'm closing in. I'm concretizing I'm creating my little world and my little fiefdom, you know, and I'm relating to everything from my place of personalness, personal self. But when that, you know, begins to fall away, then there is no self and others. There is a kind of unification that allows one to move through the world totally at peace never having to be or try to be anything what a freedom never having to wonder or worry over every decision you make you know how somebody will take it how they will feel about it how you will feel about it what a freedom To really, really get that this moment matters because the next moment is not promised. So what will I do in this moment? He talks about like moving like your hair is on fire. And that doesn't mean frantic, but it means just being like so clear. What would it feel like for you to wake up clear every morning, confident every morning that you could handle what comes in this day, good or bad? And so the one who walked this path and went perhaps further than most of us ever get or even know that there is to go, laid out his experience and he said, don't take my word for it though, try it for yourself. And he changed lineages from the ordinary and not just him, I mean the Millions and millions of Buddhists. And we always say that, you know, if there was only one Buddha, no point in following his stuff because he's the only one. I mean, what would be the point? There could be only one. I remember one time when the uh, uh, Jehovah Witnesses would come to my, you know, come to your door, and some people would pretend they weren't home, you know, but I was always home for them like yeah yeah you come in (laughs) we will sit down and have a conversation (laughs) and we would talk but at that time you know I was I was a a Christian at that time well I guess I could say I still I still am don't send me any emails (laughs) so uh, I said you know what I said I understand a lot of what you believe in a lot of what you teach and and I actually uh, believe that you've had some kinds of direct experiences that make you absolutely know something I said but this is the part that's a little bit sticky for me and I forget the number now but they have a set number of people and they have more that can make it into heaven you know and they have more of them as practicing witnesses right now. I said, all oh, your people are not going to make it in. So, why would I want to join this group? There is no room in the end. There's, you know, there's not, I mean, I said, everything else you can, you talk about, that's all, I said, all good. It's the number. The, the number doesn't work for me. You know, and and that was it. They put me on a do not visit list. They would, you know, they they really did because I talked to so many witnesses that went back with questions about the the number. You know, you don't have to challenge everything, just just the number. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, yeah. How many of us up oh, already exceeded that number? No room for me. You know, I'm not going on that one. You know, so so it's something like that. So I thought today, I I, I wanted you to know why I'm I'm doing what I'm doing <laughs> today. And now I got to do it really fast because <laughs> I only have. This is going to be a two a two time thing. Um, Dharma talk. I wanted to recite to you the salutation to the Buddha today. It is uh, the way that we pay homage to, ascribe worth to. You know, that's what worship is. Worship is ascribing worth to, however you've understood it before. That's what it is, ascribing value to, ascribing honor to, honor to whom honor is due. And so when we give salutation to the Buddha and to the Dharma and to the Sangha, it is a very deep and serious thing. The way that we worship, ascribe worth to, is not. Or reliance on, or taking refuge in, is not looking for the Buddha, the Dharma, or Sangha to be our salvation, but it is to appreciate, and acknowledge, and emulate the qualities and the virtues. That we think accompany an awakened mind and heart, and that we ascribe a value then to those qualities, and then we do the work we need to do to cultivate and develop them in ourselves. you stand the difference, so it's not like putting our trust and reliance in someone to save us. But it is in the gratitude for showing us, for demonstrating, for sharing your journey that we could sit back and reflect and ponder and correct and giving us a track to run on. And that's the value of the sages of times past and the sages today. So they are worthy, you know, of um, our salutation. And they are worthy for us to take refuge in. And there will be others who take refuge in us as we develop the sublime qualities that manifest from an awakened mind and heart. So, there is a salutation to the Buddha, and it goes like this. Iti Piso, Bhagavad-Araham. And we generally chanted Sama Sambudo Ija it. Charana Sampano Sukato Lokavitu Anutaro parusa Dhammasati Sati Deva Manusanam Budo Bhagavati. And it means, indeed, is the blessed one exalted. All wise, endowed with knowledge and virtues, gone beyond, knower of worlds. A guide incomparable for the training of individuals, teachers of gods, and men. Enlightened. And that's what it means. But you see, for me, I will. So for me, and I'm going to break down, these are the nine qualities of a Buddha, so these are the qualities that I am reaching for now, when I amass these qualities, they show some sign, so we have some like some trickle down economics, you know, so it hits all the low spots, but this is what I am reaching for so By reflecting, the Buddha said reflection on the qualities of a Buddha is a meditation object. One that will help pull us into the fullness of the measure of the stature of one who truly knows and sees to the highest realms of virtue, of compassion, and of wisdom. If you get that, the highest realms of virtue, compassion, and wisdom, you inherit everything less than that. That's everything. So instead of reaching and swinging on the monkey bars for this and for the just go right there. And you'll inherit all of these things without even trying. You want to be a nicer person? you can't, it'll come automatically. You want to be more generous, it will just happen automatically. You want to be quick to forgive, it'll happen automatically. You want to be slow to judge, it'll start happening automatically. You want, you know, all of these things will just start, to, because they come in the bag of goodies that goes with cultivating the mind of a Buddha, the change of lineage. Lineage. And so he said from time to time that should be our meditation object. And we should reflect. And so here's the first quality. Araham. Araham means that, means one who has um, abandoned or eradicated all defilement. Isn't that what we're reaching for—the abandonment of defilements? What are defilements? Defilements are our um, habitual reactions to what's arising that are uh, unbeneficial, like anger, anxiety, you know, uh, frustration, stress, depression. You know, ignorance, jealousy, gossip, attachment, all of these things that we feel, and we feel the stab of that emotion, that energy in motion, that mm, response to something. So we acknowledge that the one who offers these teachings is one who has overcome these things. That's why he could point them out, and say, look right there. Look right there. Notice that when you are, are full of anger, that you've set yourself on fire. And how does that feel? Notice that when you when you have that resentment or you have that envy, and then you feel Guilty because that's your friend. and You're supposed to be rejoicing in her successes and you're smiling on the outside but inside you're like. And then you, then you feel because I shouldn't feel that way. Uh-huh. But you do. Habitual tendency because you felt like you wanted it or you should have got it. And so this is one who has overcome those defilements. And because he's overcome them, he can uh, articulate for us the path to overcoming them. So he says, go in that direction. You know, look at it this way. And you keep looking at it this way, then you'll start to see something different than what you saw before. You start to find that you have the capacity to hold your peace. Like, I just couldn't help myself. It just, you know, it just flashed up so fast. Yes, but after a while, you'll know that it starts, it's getting ready to flash before it gets out the gate. You'll start to know I'm getting ready. You know, I'm feeling it. My hair standing up on the back of my neck. You start to be tapping deeply into our feeling instead of trying to ignore them or push them away. We'll be right there with them. Ah, oh, what's that? I feel it, and then we turn our attention from what's happening out here to this thing that I feel right here. And that becomes a habitual tendency of turning from what out there we feel is upsetting us to what is this feeling I have just getting ready to make me embarrass myself and hurt someone or cause me to suffer loss because I know I'm going to lose. I'm going to rail on my boss, and then I'm not going to have a job. You know, what? what is it that would make me be that self-destructive? And it's like my sense of pride, maybe. My, I, can't, I can't overlook a fault. I, can't, I, can't, I just can't tolerate being misunderstood. Instead of recognizing that if a person misunderstood me, you know, they misunderstood me. I didn't misunderstand them. I'm on this side of it. They've just misunderstood me. If they knew me, they would know I don't think that way. But they have misunderstood me. So why should I get off in a tizzy and ranting and railing? It's because of my pride of myself. Can't tolerate anything. And when I see that, then I can begin to work on it a little bit. When can I understand that somebody who is having a hissy fit has just completely lost their mind, they completely lost control of themselves for the moment. So what? I'm not going to be able to get in there edgewise. There's nothing I'm going to be able to say because right now they're not listening. So no point in trying. Why don't I just hold my energy steady for these few moments? Just let them have their say. This is our practice. And so if, he, if we reflect on the qualities of one who has attained that, you know, we set up a resonance. That's the whole point. We set up a resonance. And so instead of tuning in to what's guttural and what is low, we tune in. We vibe in. We grok with. What is of a high frequency? And then we find that we can operate on that same level. So that's the first contemplation of the Buddha, Araham, One that has eradicated all defilements. So I know that I, too, can eradicate what hinders me. Sama Sambudo means to discover and understand something fully without a teacher the direct apprehension of it. Now, I am understanding something, I am realizing something but I didn't do it by myself. I'm doing it with the aid of a teacher. So I'll never be a Sama Buddha, But I might possibly be a Buddha. Sama means discovered it for oneself. Without any teaching. I have a teaching. I have a track. A road to run on. That is helping me with it. This was his quality. sampano is knowledge and conduct. Being endowed with both knowledge and conduct. That means saying what you mean, meaning what you say. Your words and your actions being able to line up. Some of us can say really good things. We just can't walk it out. You know, but this is being able to know it, to, to, uh, to live it. Not just to say it, believe it, aspire to it, but to actually be able to live it. Now, remember I'm talking about um, um, moving into the frequency of the on that same level. This is the aspiration one should have for oneself. You see, it starts to to uh, bump up your aspiration a little bit more. It starts to, you know, how do, we, how do we grow? How do we get higher? How do we do better? We have to have an aspiration for it. And so this reminds us of our great aspiration, you see. And then in that moment when I'm just about to lose my mind up in here, that aspiration pops up in my mind, and I find the nobler thing to do is this. It's to overlook a fault. It's to tolerate a slight. It's to be able to stand on what I know about myself rather than one who doesn't know me. It's this kind of thing, and then being able to put forth the uh, Effort, not just the intention, but to put forth the effort to uh, be with the uncomfortableness of that very good decision, you see. Because it doesn't feel that comfortable in the beginning. You know, it may not even feel that comfortable in the end. But we learn how to be with comfort and with what? Discomfort. That's where the power is to be able to be with comfort and with discomfort. If I can only love people who love me what's what's the honor in that? But if I can love people who don't love me then that's accomplishment. Sugato. Sugato means a great speaker. One who says what he means means what he says, but who can actually articulate it, who can get it across. There are some who know and understand something, but they can't, like, get it out, can't get it out. Sugato uh, is the quality of being able to articulate it, to know it and to express it, to get it across, to transmit it. In such a way that it will benefit the hearer. Sometimes we go home after dharma and we reflect back on dhamma. I said, Panya Panya Deepa. I said, "I had it in here, you know, but I, I couldn't get it across the the way that I have it. I couldn't get it across that way." He says, "Well, I think you did put it." In. I said, "Yeah, I know, but I'm telling you, I got it in a way that was." Completely transformative for me. It flowed into me in a certain way that it absolutely uprooted something for me, and I could not get that across. I know I didn't get it across. You know, after try, after try again. But so I, I look at that quality and I admire that quality. That's why I read and I quote, and you know, and I try to stay as close to, to what he said. Trying to find the the building blocks of that kind of of quality of choosing the right words at the right time, in such a way that it will will uh, benefit the listener. The Buddha was a master at that, and I want to also be master of that. Lokavidu is the person who knows about the world. Now, loka, there's you know. The six worlds, that's like the world of seeing, the world of hearing, of tasting, of touching, of smelling, and the world of thinking. He is the knower of the worlds. Those are the six worlds that we are in right now. That we uh, come to assess or determine what is what by through our sense gates. And so what it's the first thing he teaches us. He teaches us to draw in our senses. If we want to tap into and move beyond them, we have to not always be relying on them to give us the full story. So that's the first awakening is to realize we cannot fully rely on what we see here, taste, touch, smell, and think. To, t- to really know what is going on, what is happening. There has, to be, uh, uh, there has to be additional faculties and additional gates by which we can know things. So if we think of these six, especially the thinking one, as the highest echelon, or providing the ultimate doorway for the capacity of knowing, then we have nowhere to go. So when we say, oh, yeah, I get that intellectually, but, you know, and then we say, yeah, so you have to lay down the intellect, you know, and we cannot because we actually think it is the highest. And so we end up maybe at the highest echelon of the ordinary, man, But to change lineages and move into the lineage of the Buddhas, we have to leave that intellect outside the door because that's for moving in this world. It's like I'm breathing air out here, but if I want to go underwater and I want to stay in that world for a long time, I need some additional apparatus. My ordinary stuff's not going to work for me under there. I need something else. It's like that. We have to recognize or come to the conclusion that we need something else. And when we really come to that conclusion, we are able to begin to suspend then this great intellectual bent that we have. Use it for in this world. But if we're trying to enter into the intention of being overcomers of the world in the world but not of it it's going to take a different activation of a different set of faculties and these practices are designed to activate those faculties Um, oh you know what I actually have to end because we're over the time. So this is going to have to be a two-time thing. because if we could just have, like, a few more moments. After I talked about all of these qualities, and then after we take these qualities that are ascribed to the Buddha, and he said that we have the same essential nature, we have the Buddha nature dormant within us, then we can begin to see that these are not the qualities of somebody or something out there, but these are the very qualities that we possess. The way I thought I was this, I thought I was stuck. I thought I was cruel. Where I thought I was unloving, or even I thought I was loving, but my love is only worth two cent. Or whether you know, I now realize that I have the qualities, the sublime, sublime qualities, there, and it's about peeling back the layers until I access them, until I set them free. Then I see that there's nowhere to go out there. There's everywhere to withdraw to, in here. And the qualities that I ascribe to the Buddha, the worth that I give to the Buddha, that I begin to recognize and acknowledge within myself. And I become what I think about myself. I become what I ponder on. I bring into fruition all of those qualities, the qualities of the awakened mind. And so our three-minute meditation today is going to be on the Shakyamuni Buddha um, mantra. And it's just Muni Moony. That means sage, sage, you know, great knower, great knower. This teacher, leader, Taya ta Moon Just powering down from our own selves, everything we think about ourselves, just relaxing. just entering into the stillness of a different kind of mind that is accessible to you because it is in you the mind of the sage the all wise one this is just a salutation of homage to the teacher within one's own heart and mind, not having to be anything or do anything, finding that perfect still point inside. the overcomer of defilements one accomplished in both knowledge and conduct adept at the art of choosing the right words at the right walking the best path to reach one's goal, the path leading to freedom from suffering, being able to observe pain without increasing pain, not needing to personalize pain or suffering, but being able to let it be until by its invariable nature it subsides It ebbs Look how we do The person who knows about the world And that there are no other worlds Than these six How they arise for us And how they cease How clash and how harmony works in the world so that when I step into an environment where there is clashing, I can understand it all together and know how to bring harmony in that space. Anutaro Pasua Dhamma Sarati, the best teacher who can bring the wayward back and get them back on track, who can re-inspire and encourage one to get up and go again. do the person who knows directly the four noble truths Thank you so this is um a chant that I do at home because it puts me in remembrance of my great intention. You see, and this supersedes, and I'm through for today, this supersedes any particular thing, any particular issue, any particular body. And it sets us on a path of how we will live and move and have our being in the world, you see. And then no matter what we come up against or who we come up against and encounter in the course of the day, we know that we're fully capable of meeting that. May you be well and happy and peaceful. May no harm come to you, no danger. May you always be able to meet the inevitable difficulties of life. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening.